What do we do after the fires, the floods, the pandemic? We live in a crisis-rich environment. And how do we learn and prepare for next time? My name is Will Small and this is Olivia Wolf. We believe stories are one of the most powerful learning and evolutionary tools we have. And this, this orange glow is getting bigger and bigger and bigger and I'm just sitting there thinking, oh, this is not good. So we've listened to people's stories about disaster recovery, community resilience and mental well-being. From firefighters to clinical psychologists. There was a family that were actually um, protecting their house and they actually gave up their, their Christmas lunch. Small business owners to communities who have experienced loss and communities that have survived together. It's not often that people intentionally go out of their way to get to know their neighbours these days. These are conversations about what has happened, what may happen and how we can prepare for the future. It was an ordeal that we'll never forget. This is Emergency Ready Now. This podcast is presented by Central Coast Council and Lead by Story and jointly funded by the Commonwealth and the New South Wales State Government under the Disaster Recovery Funding Arrangements. The views expressed are the opinions of the individuals interviewed. Please be aware these topics may be sensitive, particularly if you have personally been affected by bushfires. If you need to talk to someone, you can always call Lifeline on 131114 or Beyond Blue on 1300 224636. Australia has experienced some of its most challenging natural disasters in the last couple of years. In this episode of Emergency Ready Now, we are reflecting on the bushfires of late 2019 and early 2020. Will had the privilege of speaking to Leanne Neal and their daughter Chloe Dallymore who experienced the New South Wales fires firsthand. While others were celebrating the arrival of the new year, the Dallymores were fighting tooth and nail to protect their home from an encroaching bushfire in Blue Haven on the Central Coast. The vulnerable stories the Dallymores shared with us illustrates the importance of community connection, but it also reminds us of the fact that trauma can live on long after the embers have been extinguished. Um, so just tell me a little bit about yeah, Blue Haven and, and living here. What you know, you've been here for a few years, you said around five years, maybe just kind of paint a bit of a picture of yeah, just what it's like living around here. Yeah, it's it's a I mean Blue Haven itself where we are, it's it's quiet. Um, we overlook the bush, which was a was a good thing, probably probably still is, but it's um, yeah, it's just a nice quiet area, um, nice neighbours, everything's yeah, it, it's just a nice place to be. Yeah, we do enjoy living here. We certainly, um, I think, we bought a house in the um, in the area that we needed for our children. You know, we had a little bit more space. Um, as Neil said, you know, we live near the bush. That wasn't an issue until obviously the fire hit, but we didn't realise how big it was. Um, but um, it, it's close to things, you know, you jump on the freeway, that kind of stuff. But also to being living in a pocket or in a um, near a cul-de-sac and, or just in an estate, that kind of stuff, you get to know people. Um, and that was evident, um, you know, the night of the fire as well because we come together, we can mm. help each other quickly and other people were um, available to help you as well. So that was, you know, a good thing too. Um, but, yeah, we 
Oh, we love it. So yeah, great. Yeah, yeah. So you both mentioned, you know, you've got this um, close closeness to the bush, which is beautiful. You know, in terms of the the scenery and yeah. just that sense of the calm, kind of quiet place to live. But obviously, um, that that fire season, 2019, 2020, probably made you look at that in a bit of a different way. How about you guys just share as much as you feel comfortable, just the story of what that fire season was like for you maybe leading up to it because obviously it was such a long time of just darkened skies and just, you know, all of us kind of watching the news. But what was it like for you guys? Yeah. I guess guess you sort of, you you go along and think, you look at other people, um, what they're going through and you sort of think, well, that, that's, that's pretty sad for them and you don't ever really think that it's going to come close to, to your home. Um, I mean, we're, we're split by a road, a small road basically, but it was, it, it's, it's almost one of those things where you think it'll never happen to me. We never, when we bought the property, we never thought, oh, there's a bush there, there could be a bushfire. It's just one of those things you never really think about. And the... The extent of the like the drought and everything else, if we look at the bush today compared to what it was mm. prior to that, I mean it's green, it's lush now. Prior to that, it was brown, it was dry. Um, there's basically like a bit of a swamp area in there, uh, and there was nothing. There was no water there. The creek that runs through there was was low, so it was. I mean, it was it was waiting to burn basically, but mm. it's not something that you really think about. Mm. Sure. Mm. And I remember the day, New Year's Eve, but in the day um, I had driven down to Tugra. I had come back through um, Charmhaven over the bridge there, nothing. And it was about uh, half past ten and there was nothing, no sight of it because that's where it started. Um, And then I think you had arrived home from work that day and um, on that morning and it was probably about... Maybe eleven thirty, between eleven thirty twelve o'clock, yeah, something like that. And we didn't know it had started down the road. It wasn't until I had driven out of the estate to go to Coles that there was a roadblock because the fire was really happening, and we were oblivious. It was a girlfriend of mine that actually sent me a text message to say, "Do you know you have a fire around the corner? Basically, you need to pack your bags." And even with that, and. I'm so grateful that Rebecca sent me that text message. But even in that, um, I was like, almost like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Do I really need to pack my bag? Mm. I was naive and stupid and um, I didn't know anything. And um, anyway, um, but then it was sort of like um, maybe about one o'clock that day, something like that. We'd driven down to Blue Haven School and it was enormous. You know, we couldn't get down to Coles. We'd driven down to the school. It was big. Um, And I had said to Neil, we need to get higher so we can see what's happening. Um, So, yeah, and that was the start of, you know, that day. And then we kind of just watched it get more and more, not in our bush, but we could see it through our bush, not the flames, just the smoke. Mm. And we were told that the black smoke that you can see is the new part of what it's found to burn. Right. And it was just getting, it just was continuous. It would be white for seconds and then it'd get black. And that was the point where um, I didn't think we're going to be on fire. What I thought was, oh, it's, there's more black. 
Um, and that's when we started to wet the place down, wasn't it? Yeah. During yeah. the day. Yeah, we, we sort of, I mean, through, through, throughout the day it was, yeah, I think it was more precautionary just sort of wetting. I only wet the back, the back lawns. Yeah. So we just basically had sprinklers on for, the front lawn was dead. I mean, I look back at photos from Christmas Day and the front lawn was just brown. It was, there was nothing left there. So mm. I, didn't, I didn't see much point in, my, in, in watering that. Um, but then again, it was more a precautionary water. It wasn't, it wasn't a, uh, you know, it's coming. It was mm. more uh, just wet, wet the place down just in case. Mm. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah. We'd talked to neighbours, hadn't we? I'd run around and knocked on a few of the doors, as I do, and um, said to them, do you see that? <laughs> and they had noticed yeah. it, but none of them told me, none of them come across like, yes, we see it and we need to leave. No yeah. one said that in the estate at all. Um, so, yeah, they... they um, I don't... I think their thoughts were the same as ours. Yes, there's a fire, but it's... That way, it's all the way at sort of Coles or Charmhaven and um, actually I look back now on the video that was given to the news and if I knew how enormous it was, I would have packed bags, drowned houses, you know, all that sort of stuff as well. Um, we actually had um, during the day we were out getting my parents' caravan in the backyard ready and air conditioning because they were coming down um, Dad does um, marine rescue and he was doing the fireworks and stuff that night so they were coming back down to stay and we were getting their house organised and um, it was all called off because of the southerly, which looking back now was a good thing. And um, But they had their caravan sits quite close to the house in the backyard and they had made a very, um, oh, I suppose, split-second decision but the most wonderful decision to pull the caravan out of the backyard and take it home. Mm. And we actually had um, just one of the RFS blokes, I think, say to us, was there something in here before they could see the where the tyres had been sitting? And I said, yep, you know, parents were in the backyard. And um, and he said, was it a pop-top? And I said, yeah, it is a pop-top. And he said, it's good that they've gone because they catch on fire quickly. Right. And it would have caught that and, and it would have been... Um, you know, seconds to catch that and then it would have jumped to houses and, you know, that kind of stuff. So even though, um, you know, it was like um, they went home, it was the best decision that could have been made for our household but then we had them on the, the telephone as a supported unit from where they were mm -hmm. and support they did. It was, um, you know, as much as you could talk on the telephone, we swapped um, people, didn't we? And um, not you because you didn't have time to do that. <laughs> um, but, yeah, we swapped people and um, mum and dad supported, you know, our children on the phone and gave us ideas and it was actually um, a really big help because we didn't have anyone else. Mm. Um, just to know that there was someone else on the other phone, on the other end of the phone where you could say, you know, it feels like we're in hell down here but you've mentioned it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, uh, they left <clears throat> probably... An hour, two hours later, we had the, you know, we had the DC-9 coming over, dropping retardant. There's planes everywhere circling, um, all that sort of stuff. So it was one of the, it was, it was just an unknown. Yeah. Mm. But we should add that the planes were 
we still didn't know how much we were going to be, you know, hit that night. But the planes, I come home and I was at Audi and, you know, it's New Year's Eve, so you're getting some food, that kind of stuff. And I I had a phone call from our 18-year-old saying, Mum, you've got to come home. There's planes everywhere and Dad's on the roof. And so I come home and Neil's on the roof and our 20-year-old, she's like, look at this, this is amazing. And they were low and it was amazing. But and still at that point, I still didn't think, oh, we're in trouble. I just thought, we never get to see this, these planes so close and so on top of your house. And, you know, my husband up there going, you know, just one more circle sort of thing, which he wasn't really, but he was probably thinking about that. I know Chloe was thinking that. Um, And, you know, our 16-year-old's out the front with an ice block. Oh, there's a plane (laughs) sort of thing. So, But it was that part, you know, you never think that's going to happen in Blue Haven, truly. Yeah. Um, But that part, that was the exciting part of the afternoon. But we knew there was a very serious element to it. Um, Mm. Just We just didn't know how serious, that's all. So she's... I've got an important to say now. Yeah. Come on over. (laughs) While Leanne and Neil were sharing with me, their eldest daughter, Chloe, was standing in the kitchen nearby and listening to the conversation. As time went on, it was clear that she wanted to add her own memories and reflections around what had happened and how she experienced it. After a little peer pressure from her parents and me, she came and joined us. And this is what she remembers happened next. Um, I think after the planes came in, we sort of, we watched them. It was exciting with the planes, but then we went in and made dinner. And I know that I initially sort of switched off because it was like, oh, the planes have been, there's little smoke. Um, I know that. Dad and I were sort of like, oh, maybe we could still go out and do what we planned for New Year's Eve night. And we were sort of like, okay, we'll make dinner, see how it goes. And we ended up making chicken burgers and we had one bite and the fire was like on top of us by then. So I think either that I went into like a state of it's gone, it's good, the planes have done it. And there's not a lot that we can see. And then the wind came through and it was like right there within like half an hour. Mm. So I think one thing that I learned majorly from it was, yeah, okay, there's not a lot of smoke, but um, but it's definitely still there and sort of not to switch off, I guess. Mm. That was, yeah, one thing that I learned. That was a bit crazy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's sort of just when it's so unexpected that you're kind of like, well, oh, there's a bit of something going on, a bit of excitement, but let's just go and make dinner yeah. because that's not really going to impact yeah. us. It's so hard to get to that point of actually believing that that might yeah. come closer. Yeah. So when Definitely. did that, sounds like there was that moment, that kind of switch. You said you took one bite of dinner and then it's kind of like it was on top. Like when was that moment where you realised, okay, this is actually yeah, serious? It, it, it was, it was kind of weird because it, it, everything just, as Chloe said, once the planes went over and everything else was, you know, we sort of thought let's eat something um, and, and it sort of went quiet. It, it sort of, it was, it was quiet and I, and I basically said as long as the wind keeps going the way it's going, we'll be fine because it was going away from the house. Um, 
and sort of almost pushing the fire back on itself. So you know, all that was all that was good. And then it was it was within minutes that the wind changed, and then the place it, the place went from day to night because the smoke it, it, it was smoke everywhere. Um, I remember I was in the kitchen. I wasn't really paying much attention. Leanne was screaming at me, going, "You need to come outside and have a look at this." I went outside. And there was smoke everywhere, um, but there wasn't really much of a wind with it. It was just sort of, and I said, I, I think I basically said, "Oh no, we'll, we'll be all right. The wind's still going the wrong way." And then, basically, the wind turned mm. in, in in an instant, basically, and, and the southerly hit. And once that southerly hit and started to push, that's when that's when we thought, "Yeah, this isn't looking that good," mm. and probably within, I reckon. Ten minutes of that, you could see the glow start, mm. and I'm standing out the back, and I'm looking out at the bush, and this this orange glow is getting bigger and bigger and bigger, and I'm just sitting there thinking, oh, this is not good. This is, you know, this is this is coming straight for us, sort of thing. Um, and that and that that glow, just sort of, it as I said, it just got bigger and bigger and brighter and brighter, and, and you sort of get to a point going, well. This is coming straight for us. This is, you know, we, we need to leave sort of thing. So I think at that point, once once it was getting, the, the wind was howling, coming straight at the house, the glow was getting bigger. And then I said to the, I said to Leanne and the kids, that's it, we're, we're leaving. So we packed, I mean, in hindsight, we packed terribly. Um, <laughs> it was basically, I think if, if, if the house had burnt to the ground, I think I had a T-shirt Leanne had a pair of jeans. Um, I had my hard drives with all our photos on it, so that was that was in my mind that was that was important. Um, and it, and it was basically throw things in the car, throw the dogs in the car. I moved one of the cars from the, out of the driveway onto the front lawn because we weren't taking that one. We were just sort of taking two of our cars. Um, the dogs were in the car. I went out the front. And there was one of the bushfire guys out the front and he said, what are you doing? I said, we're leaving. Mm. And he said, if I were you, I'd stay. He goes, it's going to be loud, it's going to be hot, but it'll be quick. Yeah. And, and, and in that instant then I went, okay, no dramas, we'll stay. And he goes, just carry on doing what you're doing. You're doing a great job because I'd just been around the house hosing it down all for hours, you know, felt like hours, but it had been probably maybe half an hour. Mm. Um. So he goes, just carry on doing what you're doing. We opened up both gates so that, you know, if the fireys needed to come in, we had, we've got two side gates. And it was basically, that was it. Neil and I are um, a team effort. If mm. he, if he um, said that we were staying, not that, you know, it was, you know, you have to, um, but I couldn't have done it without him on the night. I wouldn't have done it without him on the night. Um, but... Very much a um, a united front when things would like that um, mm. happen, and our children stepped up like unbelievably and grew up that night. Um, you know, in a way that um, we weren't shocked. We knew that it, they had it in them, but um, they were just whatever we wanted them to do. They did it. There was no if, buts or maybes and each of them went through, um, you know, the 
what do you mean we're going to stay and the um, emotional side of things. Um, and as parents, it was like both of us probably thought in our mind, have we done the right thing? But we needed to um, act quickly. Um, that night, my upbringing come into play very strongly. Um, you know, I can communicate well with people fast. I, well, I should rephrase that. I gave orders fast. I gave them well. The neighbours went, Jesus, you're kind of like, do you know how bossy you are sort of thing? But it was great because yeah. you gave direction. That's what was um, yeah, yeah, my dad to a T. Um, you know, I knew that both my parents were in the mix of what I did. I did exactly what they would do just in different forms of both of them. But I could hear Dad's voice saying, come on, um, he calls me Bundle, so come on, Bundle, you know, open up those gates, get them open so people can come in and do what they need to do. And, you know, and Mum would have said, you know, containers of water and, and cloths so that you can breathe. And, you know, we had Chloe onto that and baths being filled up and, and that kind of stuff. And I remember Neil coming across. I actually was across the road packing up the neighbours and the dogs and getting them organised so that they um, they couldn't do it on their own for various reasons and we got those organised with uh, our daughter Abby as well and I was only gone for a couple of minutes um, but I knew that if I got that organised I could get that out of my mind and mm. come back and do what I needed to do. The the ember attack itself was, was probably the worst. Mm. Um, there's... It, it was it was just raining. It, it's it on the videos that we've got. It looks like snow because wow. it, it's um and and it, and it it was coming across the road in in I don't know when you see heavy rain, you can see the waves of water coming across. The embers were doing the same thing, and it was just just rivers of embers. Mm. And that was the that was the worst part. Is you know you, you can have your flames and and the flames were sort of double the height of the trees. Um, and, and the heat off those was was intense, but it's just the embers because you just don't you know they're landing here, there, and everywhere, and because everything was so dry, mm. um, you know you just didn't know where where was gonna where was gonna burn next. Yeah. And luckily, as I said, because I I watered the back lawn all day, that was okay. The front lawn, as I said, I didn't. That was gone. It wasn't until after everything had gone, I looked over the fence and the whole nature strip. Over the fence was gone. It was just black. That had just burnt to a crisp, basically. Um, but yeah, it was yeah, it was terrifying. Yeah, it, it's I bet. it's 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 not something I want to go through again. Obviously, yeah. Um, there's only one video that I've seen that has the exact same sound, mm. and I mean, I hear that sound and I well up straight away because it's just. I don't know. It's just embedded in me that sound. That it was. A, it was a just. It's, just, it's a terrifying sound yeah. of of the roar because it comes through so fast. The the actual roar of the flames and and the, there's there's crackles and there's pops, but it, it was just that roar. Mm. And, and it's. I just remember it. Just looking up. I mean, the trees are probably, I don't know, say ten ten meters tall. And it, it felt like there were another 10... The flames were coming up another 10 metres above it and mm. straight across uh, towards the house because the wind was pushing it that way. So, in theory, the flames were coming across the top of the house. But it was... Yeah. That's huge. But the, 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 the thing with it 
as 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 the fiery said, and if I ever meet that guy, I'll shake his hand. <laughs> I don't know who he is. Um, he said it would be quick, and it was. It was it was like terrifying, roaring flames for. It felt like hours, but it was probably all up maybe five or six minutes. Mm. But then after that, it was just the constant ember attack after that that went on for probably another half an hour, 40 minutes of just embers flying across and you're just going around putting out little spot fires, um, looking across the neighbour's fence across the back and seeing their plants on fire and, you know, running, running the fireys. They, they come running in, they, they throw the hose over the fence just all these little spot things that, that just went on and on and on and on. Mm. And and you get to, I mean, we, we got to, it was after midnight. I mean, because all, all of this started, I think, from the from the videos, it was anywhere from about 20 past eight was when the wind changed all the way mm. through till about nine, oh, probably 20 past nine when it sort of died, it died down. Mm. But we were still out there at one o'clock in the morning, still just checking on embers. There was trees still throwing embers out. You sort of, I think, got half an hour's sleep because every time you close your eyes, it burnt. Your eyes were burning and you could hear it. Um, and then the next day, you see smoke again. So then instantly you're sort of back on the hose and, and, and all that sort of stuff. So you're on edge. We were on edge for 48 hours. Yeah, I bet. Uh, it's a huge thing to go through as a family and I hear there's that sort of your family in the moment. You step up together, there's that amazing strength, that that real determination that just kind of activates. Um, but what a huge thing to go through as a family. What was it like for you guys, you know, days later, weeks later? Like how did you kind of process some of that together? Um, I think the I think initially it's... Um, you don't realise that your fight or flight um, responses that we're, you know, that's inbuilt to us as a normal fight or flight has got so many levels that you didn't know about. And that sort of stuff rides with you for a long time. Mm-hmm. It gets you through the exhaustion. But, and as Neil said, you know, we were on edge for 48 hours, but it was actually far longer than that. Yeah. Oh, wow. I really appreciate you guys sharing the story. It's very powerful to hear it. And um, I I can feel um, how much, you know, like you said, it's there's that moment, that 48 hours, but you carry that stuff with you. And it's definitely, I'm sure, like you talk about, Neil, hearing that sound, I can only imagine what that's like for you. Yeah. Um, What would you say, and it's, you know, totally fine if you don't have an answer to this, but are there things that you feel like you've, you look back and you learnt from it things that maybe you did differently in the future or things that you kind of go, we're going to take this with us from that experience? Yeah. Um, I think the first thing that we look at now is if someone's going to... Uh, it can be as simple as Andrew went and played a, a soccer game on a field at um, Gorican High School and this was just after the fire, he was doing his trials... And I was standing there and I know that I, tears are streaming down my face because we were surrounded by bush. And we're on an oval and I could get out. I knew I could get out. And I had a guy come up to me and he was the coach down there or something like that. And he said to me, um, are you okay? And Andrew had forgotten his shin pads and I was a little bit stressed and what have you. And he said to me, you know, 
you you look like you're crying. And I said, yes, but not over shin pads. It's it's how close the bush is on the oval. And it just so happened that he was, I believe he's an actual firefighter somewhere in Sydney but lives in Wungara. And it was on its way to sort of Wungara that night, which I remember thinking that's ridiculous but it's actually not um, knowing what I know now. And um, he said to me... Um, have you talked to someone? And I went, oh, sort of, it's, you know, it's only happened a little while ago. Has your son talked to someone? I said, no, um, not really. And he goes, well, he needs to because I can see it in his face too. And um, that was a, that was an eye-opener because as parents you sometimes miss that. Um, the one thing that, that does happen that we didn't know that happens is is that a bush rejuvenates itself from what we can see. You know, I'd like to say tenfold, but it's more like a hundred. Mm. That's the light side of the fire. Yeah. <laughs> and there has to be a light side of the fire because where yeah. do you go from here? Yeah. Twelve months on, we're still in tears. There are days that we're still in tears. Um, Twelve months on, we still, we still, uh, you know, goosebumps from head to toe. Yeah. We only heard the roar of the fire the other night on a, a comedian podcast um, and, you know, without sort of giving away lots of secrets, it undid Neil within seconds and it undid me to watch him become undone and then you hop up and you pull yourself together or someone mentions to you or, um, you know, something that happened or the photo comes up on memories in your phone or, um, you know, the kids show you something or a video is played and that kind of stuff and it takes you right back there and you're as, as probably, you know, emotional like you were. Yeah. Um, but I remember, Will, when you turned up, you said something to me that people sometimes when they lose homes, they've... They've done it, they've gone through it, they're coming out the other side. They've got something to achieve, uh, something to build, something to work towards. And um, Neil and I are forever grateful that we didn't lose our house. Um, we um, only want the best for people that did lose their home. Um, we truly feel for them. We will never sit here and say we understand what it is like losing a house. What we'll say is we understand what a bushfire that um, is sent um, with a wave of destruction behind it is like mm. um, and multiple other things that come with bushfires and stuff. Um, we understand that part but... Um, the losing side of a house, I will never say to anyone I understand that because that would be foolish to say that. Um, and, you know, and, and think about those people and definitely, don't we? But um, I think what I, what I would want to say to both of you upon listening to you is that it's so, so understandable that yeah. you would still carry the, yeah. the reality of that experience. And yeah. um, I think it might have been the same guy was telling me because he – works in kind of disaster community resilience. Yeah. He's a psychologist but he's lived through very bad bushfires. Yeah. And he said for him, you know, it, it took years, yeah. uh, five years or so yeah. of those hot summers, those winds, those yeah. days to be able to kind of get to a point where he's like, okay, 
Yeah. I don't have the same reaction that I did. Yeah. So in some ways I just want to just validate yeah. you guys have been incredibly brave yeah. and courageous and been yeah. through something that, you know, somebody could kind of casually go, oh, yeah, you know what, it was one night, your house is still there, yeah. it's all right. Yeah. That's the wrong response. Yeah. And that's, you know, I yeah. want people to hear this kind of thing and go, actually, you've got to be gentle with, with each other, anybody who's been close to that sort of thing or had the kind of experiences that you guys have had. Yeah. It's huge. It's Definitely. enormous. Yeah. It's or, it's almost like a constant reminder that, yeah. that there's if you you may see you may see a burnt leaf. I mean we you know we were picking up burnt leaves eight nine ten months later that you get the odd burnt leaf and it's just this little constant reminder. And but then on on the flip side of that, you, you've got this massive amount of admiration for the for the fireys. Yeah. Um, you know where where I wanted to run away, they were running towards it. They were driving yeah. towards it. They were you know they were side on to the to the fire um a couple of my friends that i work with one of them was here on the night he's, he's in the bush fire brigade he was here on the night another guy he's he's with the normal fire brigade he was here on the night um and i mean i i've, I've said to them I, I i saw him you know probably a week later and i shook his hand and thanked him and he goes you don't need to thank us and i'm like no i'm sorry but i do mm. um whether whether we would have lost the house whether they were here or not is irrelevant basically. They were here. They were there mm. and they were, they were just sort of like that, that wall of, of I, I don't know, like there was a solid wall that, were, that was, was, was here to protect us. Yeah. Um, and we've still got the burnt curtains because when I look at the back of them, it's a reminder of what could have happened but what didn't happen and that we made it through that too. Um, but many um, mixed emotions. We still talk to the neighbours about it um, and, you know, they've still got mixed emotion as, as well. Um, and, but as a, you know, like the end of the street, we come together and, and we join forces with long hoses and, um, you know, we were still putting fires out that we didn't bother the RFS with, but days later they would just they would just happen on their own. Um, we were told that the ground is active for, I think it's three weeks. It burnt for three days under it, but I think it's three weeks or something oh. like that. And so we'd look across and the tree stump would had reignited itself. There was nothing there to burn, but, you know, it was still fire. And, um, and so the neighbours and us joined forces with our water, their hoses and... The bloke next door, he he um, went over there and <clears throat> and put it out and stuff and um, but it certainly brought that community spirit that was there before, but it needed to be there on an up close and personal basis far more than what it you know um, it ever had been and um, I would say that they're all still doing what we're doing and still watching bushes and you know, thinking about that day as well. Um, and, yeah, it's um, it was certainly a night that we say that we'll never forget it and if it happens ever again it will be too soon. I think we went through it as a family but we went through a lot of stuff individually and when you talk to, you know, mum and dad and you know, Abby and Andrew and stuff, you go, well, how did you think about it and how do you feel? And because I know for me, I 
slept with a pair of shoes on for the next week. I didn't sleep in my bed because it was too far away from doors. My biggest lesson learned, I guess, was how to overcome something that was so crazy because the night of the fire I was after it sort of calmed down I was offering water to the fireys and stuff and I remember I came face to face with this girl and she had a she had a helmet on or a hat on and stuff Um, but I could see that she was probably no older than me and it just astounded me like I went into dad and I was like oh my goodness like there's people that are my age running around, you know, fighting fires. And um, and I was just like, okay, if they can do it and if they can sort of come out of it, then I can as well. But you definitely go through some crazy emotions and crazy mm. feelings. Mm. And it's still like it's still to, you know, sort of today and stuff. Yeah. Mm. Oh, thank you so much, um, Neil and Leanne and Chloe for sharing <laughs> Yeah, just so um, vulnerably and and honestly, um, yeah, it's very powerful for me, and I'm sure that others will listen to this and be um, both think of you guys as as brave and courageous heroes, um, yeah. but also be personally um, just impacted to think a bit differently about yeah. the experiences of others. So, yeah. yeah, really appreciate your time and being willing yeah. to share your story. Thank you. Thank you. If this shared story and experience has raised any emotions or triggers and you need to talk to someone, you can always call Lifeline on 13 11 14 or Beyond Blue on 1300 22 4636. Leanne and Neil and the children experienced something that they didn't think they needed to prepare for and their reasons to stay and fight for their house as it may have been too late to leave and the emotions and triggers that the family are working through together, all of that is such a powerful story. And considering, I mean, the fringing bushland area of Blue Haven that the Dally Moors are surrounded by, it's really representative of so many parts of the Central Coast and it makes us realise this could happen to any one of us. So how do we implement a plan and best prepare for situations like these ones? Leanne and Neil spoke about the role the RFS played in helping them defend their house. And someone who knows this well and understands the importance of being prepared is Vicky Campbell. Vicky has spent over 30 years working in emergency response organisations, including the New South Wales Ambulance and the New South Wales Rural Fire Service. She is currently the manager of the Central Coast Rural Fire District and is responsible for the overall coordination of RFS firefighting capability and bushfire risk management. Vicky reminds us that so much of emergency response has to do with muscle memory and practice during the ordinary times. She also gives a great perspective on understanding the hazards without losing sight of the beauty to be found in the bush. Vicky's perspectives on living emergency ready now are invaluable as someone with so much lived experience. When I was first reading about your experience, Vicky, the thing that stood out to me the most was that I am assuming you have experienced a lot of high stress situations in your life. And I was just wondering, um, how do you personally handle your own stress levels? 
Yeah, sure. Um, and, and look, uh, I will say, obviously, yeah, there is certainly some moments of high stress. Um, working in emergency services, though, is not always. I think I think people imagine the worst and think that that's all we deal with. Um, however, there's obviously quite a dynamic in there of, of times of high and low sort of thing. So, uh, and that's probably a good thing to be able to mix it up. But, um, you know, as far as the stress goes, I think... Um, the most important thing is is to have that balance in life. Um, and, you know, there are stressful situations that are going to put you to the test. Uh, but, you know, if you try and keep that balance and still manage to, you know, maintain that healthy balance of work, friends, um, you know, a bit of exercise, a bit of good health sort of thing, uh, you know, that, that then that sort of balance in life helps you to deal with those moments when you do end up in, in very high stress situations. So, uh, but they're not all the time. Uh, but, yeah. Have that balance, and then and then when they do come along, uh, you can usually work through it, and then and then recover after it afterwards. Mm. So you actually kind of led into my next question there, because one of the things I wanted to ask you about, you know, thinking about your experiences both working um, as an intensive care paramedic and then in the RFS, um, like you just mentioned, people think about the crisis moments, but they don't think about all that's happening before that moment and all of the things that are kind of just ticking away in the background that enable the kind of response that happens in the crisis moments. just wondering if you could maybe talk to us a little bit about all those things that happen before a team is deployed or before there's a response to a crisis. What are some of the things that actually are happening in the, in yeah. the background? Look, um, and, and there, you're absolutely right. There is a huge amount that goes in into the prevention and preparation uh, for those situations. And um, there's a terminology in emergency management where uh, they, they look at prevention, preparation, response and recovery. So response where those high stress moments occur, that's only one part of the whole emergency management process. And um, there's so much that you can do in the prevention and preparation space to obviously prepare you for that situation, um, you know, when it does become a crisis and uh, and when it's quite busy and, and you're responding to a situation. Um, and I guess... Um, a lot that comes into that is muscle memory. Um, uh, and I'll give you an example, I guess, as a, as a paramedic, you know, the first day that I walked into a patient who was actually having a cardiac arrest, um, I'd done that job 20 times beforehand in training, you know, uh, and you do all this training and preparation and scenarios. Uh, so I've walked into 20 cardiac arrests in a training room before. So the day that I actually had to walk in and actually manage a patient in that situation, it wasn't foreign to me um, and there was a lot of muscle memory. Um, and in, in those times, um, you know, there's a lot of uh, uncontrolled activity going around you know there's people's natural response to that situation um, of friends and family and uh, there's other paramedics that you're working with and the more that um, you can get your basic skills and and processes that you need to do uh, under a natural response um, the more capacity you have obviously to deal with those unknowns uh, in the situation and and I guess a lot is the same uh, in my current environment with bushfires you know where um Yes, the, the fires do make a run and you have to respond at that point. But prior to doing that, obviously, you've got crews and you've developed and trained them uh, for what you want to do. You've got systems and processes in place. You've 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 talked to your community. With a bit of luck, your community's prepared and, and obviously a lot relies on them um, doing some of the preparation in their own space and, and their own area. Um, but it makes that uh, response to that significant event so much more manageable uh, when you have put in the work for that prevention 
uh, and preparation. And I guess not not to be um, forgotten too is the recovery effort. Uh, and, and part of that recovery effort is rebuilding and trying getting people uh, back to as normal as possible. Sometimes they, it never will go back to what it was like beforehand. Uh, sometimes it will, but being able to participate in that recovery and, and I guess also reflect on what's happened uh, and, you know, what, what are the things that occurred uh, when you did respond that, that went well and make sure that, you know, you keep them in the toolbox for next time? What are the things that didn't go well and try and uh, work out why they didn't go well, um, you know, and, and see if there's something there that can be learned for next time that you actually improve on next time. So uh, for me, a mistake is never really a mistake unless you never learn from it. Um, if, if, if something happens, it goes wrong, but you acknowledge that and you can put something in place to prevent that happening, then then that's a lesson learned, not a mistake. Yeah, And, mm. I, and I think the important thing there is to recognise it's not all bad a lot of the time uh, and I think you need to absolutely recognise the things that went really well because invariably there's always um, shining lights in there and you've got to make sure that, you know, you you, you bring them out. Uh, but, yeah, don't, don't be afraid of the things that didn't go so well um, because invariably there's, a, there's an opportunity there for you to improve in the future. Yeah. Um, what would you say to those of us who aren't paramedics or firefighters? Um, what are the principles from your work that you think people across our community should be bringing into their day-to-day lives? Yeah. He, here's one of the big things, right? There's, there's things you can't change. Um, you're not going to change floods, storms, bushfires. They are a natural uh, part of our lives and they are going to happen. Uh, but what you can change is um, obviously your prevention and preparation leading up to it so that you're prepared and ready. And, and certainly from a bushfires perspective, um, we do do a lot of um, community engagement. We do do a lot of, um, you know, uh, trying to get the community to understand um, how to prepare your home and how to how to make your home safe, make it bushfire proof, and actually practice if there is a fire coming about how you might protect your home. If your plan is indeed to stay and defend your home, for some people it's not. For some people it's leave and leave early, and that's great. Those people need to look at the conditions, understand the fire danger ratings, and take the opportunity to leave early when they can. But if your decision is that you are going to stay and defend your property uh, in the event of a bushfire, then um, the time that that fire is roaring up the hill towards your property is not the time to be turning your pumps on to seeing if your hose actually reaches to the areas of the house that you want it to do. Like uh, all these things need to be, um, you know, um, you know, practice beforehand. Run your pumps, run your hoses. Can they reach to all the assets that you want to protect on your house? If it's just your house, that's fine. If it's the shed out the back, if it's the big machinery you've got, um, can your hoses reach that? far and how much water have you actually got um, and, you know, making sure that uh, you, you understand a, a little bit about fire behaviour. Uh, sometimes it can seem when fires are approaching, they're approaching for hours and hours and hours. So making sure that you, um, you know, know when it's time to turn your water on and start using the water versus conserving your water, um, you know. Uh, understanding how the fire behaves and, and what you can do to prevent it is just um, so important and, and so valuable to your preparation. Uh, and there's that muscle memory. When the fire actually comes, um, you, you've got enough to deal with in coping in the situation that you're in. It's hot, it's dark, um, it's really scary environment. But if you've actually got all your processes and all your procedures that you're going to do around your home down pat, then it just makes for for that to, to occur so much uh, easier. Um, yeah, so make sure that, yeah, do, change the things that you can change. Prepare what you can prepare, you know. Construct your house if you're in a bushfire zone um, to the best possible protection standards that you, 
that you can. And, um, you know, I guess don't be afraid of it. Like the, the bush is so beautiful. We are so lucky to have such a beautiful area that's surrounded by, you know, beautiful bushland. And, um, you know, whilst bushfires is a risk associated with that, there's so much that we can do to prevent and prepare for that sort of thing. So, um, yeah, work on those things that you can manage and you can change and you can prepare for, um, you know, and then hopefully when, you know, the actual disaster occurs sort of thing, you, you, you can mitigate how much impact that has uh, actually on you. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I love that perspective and, yeah, what you said before really stood out to me around, you know, the first time you went in to that um, situation as a paramedic, you'd done it 20 times before, you've got that muscle memory and that just applies to so many aspects of our lives. You know, we expect if we want to be able to respond in a certain way during a high-pressure situation, that's built upon how we have, um, you know, taught ourselves to respond in the ordinary, everyday kind of spaces in our lives so there's a lot of wisdom in actually even just thinking okay what's the situation that I'm anticipating could happen how would I respond right now given whatever I've practiced to this point do I need to change anything do I need to test anything out or um, you know not wait wait for that crisis moment and look, yeah, and, and I, I can't reinforce, you know, enough that when, when that crisis moment happens, there is a lot of uncontrollables there. Yeah. And, and if you're also at that point now trying to work out how you're actually going to control that and you haven't practised it before, that just puts so much level of, of stress and pressure on you mm. and, and, and does affect your performance. So, yeah, where you can practise yeah. things and, and have, you know, procedures about what you're going to do and how you're going to do it. And as I said, it might be defending your home. Your plan might be, you know, what we're going to leave early. Uh, and, and if that's your choice, then that's your choice. And, and you know, it, there, there's a lot of benefit in that too. Yeah. Yeah. It makes me think about, I'm not sure if you've seen, there's a, a diagram. I think it's from the book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Um, but it talks about, you know, there's these three circles. It's kind of our circle of um, control, which is a small circle in the middle. And then there's our circle of influence. And then there's our circle of concern. And that's the biggest circle, all the possible things that could go wrong, all the things that could fill our minds, all the things we could be concerned about. Um, but really the more we focus on that circle in the middle, what we can control, what we can, you know, begin to influence, that circle grows a bit yep. so that whatever those unpredictable variable factors are, we kind of have actually spent our energy where we might be able to make the changes that could be really significant when it comes to those situations. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm wondering, um, obviously a huge part of, of your role is, is um, coordinating people and teams and in any of these situations it's not just about... Um, how we respond as individuals. It's about, you know, how we kind of uh, draw on the resources of, of teams and networks and people with different strengths and experiences. And I'm just wondering, you know, obviously this podcast is about you know, how, do, how do we build resilient communities? How do we build communities that do all those steps well of preparing and uh, preventing and responding and recovering? Um, from your context, could you just share a little bit of um, some of your thoughts on the importance of teams and how people can work effectively together in these spaces? Yeah. Uh, I mean, teams are just so important, um, you know, for everything in the emergency management space. No, nothing occurs because of individual effort. It, it is absolutely all about team. And uh, from my perspective here on the Central Coast, I, I work with uh, alongside 2,500 volunteers and nothing uh, is more inspiring to me than the fact that these people actually freely give of their time um, to actually go out and help their community and do what they can. 
and, and we are all one big team and it is absolutely about the teamwork, um, you know, to be able to achieve your objective, what you're going to be achieving. Uh, and look, communities are so important uh, in that part of the team. Um, and I'll tell you certainly from the, the fires uh, in the last fire season here on the Central Coast, um, we, we integrated a lot with the communities and, and we, we provided them information, what whatever we could tell them about what was happening, what we think what happened, how to prepare their homes, you know, and they would go out and respond and do that. And, we, and when the fires were impacting, there was a lot of local community input with our RFS members and the other firefighters on the ground and work side by side and, and having that local knowledge, you know, and that's what the community brings, that local knowledge, that local understanding, where that fire trail is, where there's a better way to access something you know, um, that that local knowledge is invaluable, um, and and certainly you know I, I travel all over the state um, doing doing incident control work with fires, and uh, one of the first things that I do wherever I go is find someone with local knowledge who understands the local area and the local community to support me there because that is that is such a, a an important uh, part to, you know, understanding what's happening, understanding the needs of the community and helping them respond and providing the best response possible. So, yeah, teamwork is absolutely valuable. Uh, And for communities, you know, uh, connected communities, I've I've seen it all around the place when you've got a community and they do work together and they do help each other out and they, you know, do meet and and have, um, you know, strategies together and common meeting places and common arrangements. Um, those communities are always so much more resilient and connected than, I guess, you know, the other communities where uh, people try and, you know, uh, keep to themselves and, and don't necessarily engage in that community and, and, and just try and look after their own patch sort of thing. So, mm. yeah, definitely about, you know, certainly absolutely look after your patch, but where you can, you know, tap into that community and, you know, um, the more people you have, the the bigger and more effective your, your response and your cap- capacity yeah. is going to be, yeah. From, from all the different communities that you've seen and worked in, is there anything you think that actually helps to build that, you know, that sort of focus beyond the self? Um, what, what do you see happening where that is working well? Yeah, and I, well, I think it is communities that do do, um, you know, things together and activities together and plan together and have joint activities uh, and, and where they are, you know, connected all the time, um, you know, is, is obviously a much uh, greater benefit than if they just try and come together at the time that there's an incident or an emergency you know like everyone says oh if we get an emergency we'll all come together but you know it never works that well you don't gel that well but you know where you work together all the time and you're engaged and and you know you keep in touch with people um and and just knowing your community too you know like um so often we'd go to places and they'd say look i'm okay but down the road here is, is this person with these issues and you really need to focus on them and, you know, mm. but for that person knowing and, and providing us that intelligence, you know, we may never have got to that person. So, um, you know, there's so many benefits to um, that connectedness in the community, mm. um, you know, um, a, a, as well as obviously preparing for specific events and obviously communities have different risks. Um, you know, what what's a risk to one community may not be so much for another and I guess you just need to understand, you know, what those risks are and, and you know, make sure that you do what you can in your area of control and influence. Mm. Yeah. From our other conversations as well, it's really come up about the importance of connectedness and about um, having that mindset already of reaching out to the people in your community and beyond. I think that's a beautiful ingredient. Um, And I love this podcast because we're kind of looking at what are the ingredients of a resilient community. Do you think, Vicky, there are any other ingredients that, you know, make a community resilient? 
No, I think I think I've probably you know covered it there, but yeah, yeah. De- de- definitely know know your risks, uh, plan for your risks, be connected. Um, you know, uh, know, know your community and the resources that you've got within your community and, and you know, work together. Um, you know, you might be helping someone this week. Uh, they might be returning the favour next week sort of thing. So, um, yeah, uh, I think that's, um, you know, uh, and, and I guess from a bushfire perspective because that's obviously my, my area of expertise at the moment, um, you know, uh, knowing the risks, preparing for the risks, but but looking, watching for the information that's provided from the people managing um, the disaster or the situation, the crisis, uh, and, and then responding and know how you're going to respond uh, and, and have a plan in place. Um, yeah, it, it is absolutely vital. Mm. Yeah, that's great. That makes me think as well, um, you know, when you were saying before about actually appreciating um, the bush, not just seeing it as a risk to be managed, but something beautiful to be appreciated. It's the same thing with the community stuff, right? We don't want to just connect because that'll help us if there's a disaster. We want to connect because that's like, you know, what gives life it, its meaning when we're actually in connected communities. Absolutely, absolutely. And yeah, look, there's so many things. I mean, you could you could wrap yourself up in a bubble, you know, like going for a bushwalk is a risk, you know, but hey, what, what are you missing out on by not actually going for the bushwalk, you know, manage those risks if it's yeah. about, you know, making sure you've got someone with you and you've got a first aid kit and all that sort of thing, then then fantastic because, you know, yeah, we, we do. We have such a beautiful society uh, and so much beautiful environment, you know. Um, we just need to learn to, to manage the risks that we've got. Hey, the, I, I certainly know there's, there's people in the world that think Australia's crazy with all the, our, our snakes <laughs> and spiders that we have, you know, but uh, for us, we've sort of lived with it for so long. We know it, we understand mm-hmm. it, we know, you know, sort of the basic safety things there and away we go. So, yeah, don't don't let fear overwhelm you, um, you know, make sure make sure you get out there and live life and, yeah, yeah, ma- manage what you can manage and, you know. Yeah, that's good. I love, I love it so clear that you got that attitude of just take the opportunities, go for it, um, be wise, don't be, don't be stupid, but at the same time, um, yeah, don't, don't just also uh, be afraid. You know, find that that sweet spot in the middle. Yeah. Um, you know, speaking about things that nobody could predict or see coming, like those variables. You know, if there's ever been a year on planet Earth where it's just sort of one unpredictable thing no one saw coming after the next, it's been the last sort of 12 months or so. Um, what do you think we should be learning as we as we look back on, on 2020 and think about the future? Like what are some of the key things that we should take from that that maybe shape how we actually think about what may come in the future? Uh, look, I, I mean... And you're right, there's been so many diverse, um, you know, crazy situations this year, what a year it's been. And um, you know what, all, all I can say is this, I guess, you know, um, be kind, look after each other, pay forward. Um, you know, the, the best way to get through this sort of thing is together. Uh, and, and that, once again, I'll, I'll, that connectedness, but yeah. Um, just just check in and, and, and look after each other because they are such challenging times. Uh, and, you know, um, what, whilst 2020, you know, has been horrendous for all the crises that occurred, you know, I think we're, we're in for some pretty challenging years ahead. Um, these just don't, um, you know, stop and, and we all move on. Um, so I think now more than ever is really important to, um, yeah, take, take the opportunity to get involved with the community, look after each other and, yeah... Do what you can to help out. You never know, you might be the next person that's in that situation. Mm. Oh, that's great. Thanks so much, Vicky. You've shared uh, a lot of really practical um, but also inspiring advice and, and perspectives. And, yeah, appreciate the work that you're doing and, um, yeah, all, all that you're willing to share with those who will listen to this. So 
Thanks heaps. Is there maybe one final sentence or final thought that you would want to leave anybody listening with? Live life. Look after each other. Beautiful. We have an awesome environment here. Mm, love that. Thanks, Will. Thanks, Olivia. Thanks, Vicky. Amazing. What stood out to you from these conversations? One of the key themes of Emergency Ready Now is community connectedness. So, if this episode was useful for you, we encourage you to share it with someone and have a conversation about it. You can also help more people find this by giving it a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or sharing it through your social media. Make sure you hit subscribe so you can listen to next week's episode as soon as it's released. And until then, let's take care of each other and continue to become emergency ready now.